listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. Join authors Chad Lutsky and Jason Brandt as they delve into writing and publishing the dark side of fiction. Thanks for listening to Bleeding Page Podcast. This is episode three with Dan, author Dan Padavana, uh, who is the author of uh, a bunch of thriller series like Wolf Lake Thriller, series the um dark water cove and uh dark vanishings which is a post-apocalyptic uh kind of like the standish uh, series he has a bunch of standalone horror and some standalone thriller as well and we had dan on to talk about self-publishing um because he and switching genres because he went from writing horror and not making much to exploding in the and I mean exploding. Yeah, he's crushing like, it right now. Yeah. Um, and so, and side note, he's also the son of Ronnie James Dio. But we didn't talk about that. Um, we talked about some really, really helpful advice that he had. We could have talked for at least another hour. Um, yeah. Maybe longer. Yeah, if I didn't have the plague, as you called it. Yeah. We maybe could have gone longer, but I am dying here. And it's like I told him, it's why I'm dressed like a Russian mobster. I've got the chills and <laughs> I'm just, I have so many layers on right now trying to stay warm. So yeah, we hope you enjoy this interview as much as we did and that you can get a lot out of it and apply some great advice, in-depth yes. advice, not just, you know, oh, do this, you know, write more. He didn't just say that. He explained how to write more. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. So here's our interview with author Dan Padavana. Get a lot written today? Yes. So, Dan, Padavana. First of all, your last name is pronounced Padavana, right? Not that's Padavana. correct. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. I've heard other people say Vona, and I'm like, I made a mental note years ago when we first met. I was like, it's Padavana as in Joey Belladonna. And so <laughs> that's how I always remember it. <laughs> Yeah, that's a quirk that my my grandparents and, and my father enforced on me from when I was very young. It's spelled Padavona. It's pronounced Padavana. It's just a family thing. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I know some uh, somebody like that, too, who is is uh, actually the uh, the piece in the Vinny and Carmen uh, both pronounce their last names differently from each other. Oh, I did not know what? that. Yeah. I can't remember which, but one of them pronounces a piece and I and the other one pronounces it a PC, I think, or a peachy or something a, like that. I think a PC. Maybe. But they yeah. both pronounce it differently. Yeah, that's weird. I wonder who's right. I don't know. <laughs> who's the better drummer? <laughs> so the last time I talked to you was on my podcast, Paleo Cheese, and we talked about uh, you turned us on to um, one of your favorite slashers just before dawn. That was a good time. Oh, and good I've known you, I think, since 2014, 2015, something like that. Yeah, um, around the time uh, Storberry came out. So that yeah, was 2014. It, yeah. Yeah, it was right after Storberry, Storberry came out. Wow. And, um, I've known you since 803. It's 806 now, so close. <laughs> Long time. So, um, and you were doing, uh, you know, you were, uh, it, it felt like at the time that the stuff that you were writing was was a lot of like 
paying homage or or really showing your your influences on your sleeve with Storberry was like a, kind of like a Salem's Lot and Dark Vanishing series he did was like The Stand, and um, and you were doing all of all of these like um, horror things, and I I recall you being at, at one point maybe three years ago you starting to be discouraged and be like, I just don't know, you know, if I want to do this anymore. I think we were talking and, um, and rightly so because trying to get book sales in the, in, in, in the horror genre is difficult. We, we had Armand Rosamili on here uh, a week ago and he was talking about how horror has a ceiling and that's probably the best way to describe it is um, unless you, you know, hit the lottery and you're like, Josh Mallerman or something like that in your, but as far as self-publishing standalone books in the horror genre can be uh, difficult to uh, try and make some kind of living out of it. I have so, some theories on that. I, I don't know yeah. because I can't prove this mathematically just, just from my own experiences. I, I sold far more print books in horror uh, as a percentage of, uh, compared to um, Kindle sales than I mm -hmm. than I do in any other genre, yeah. um, and I noticed that when I went to uh, place my books at like um, book signings, uh, shows and whatnot, um, that they moved pretty well, and a lot of people would tell me that they don't buy the Kindle books, um, they they prefer print, and I just I got a feeling for a long time that horror readers are very much tied to the way things were. Um, they do like their, they like their printed books. Um, they don't, they kind of look out the side of their eye at, at the Kindle. Um, not, not every horror reader, obviously, but um, it just felt sometimes like I was swimming upstream that I was competing in an ebook genre where a lot of horror readers just weren't, you know, interested in, in even, you know, reading in. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that there's a ceiling because it's a small genre to begin with, but I also think it's it's also a genre which is is very tied to the past. So you think That's it's uh, the fact that it's uh, the readership is kind of old school. I think I think that's a good way to, to put it is old school. It, it's not a negative connotation. It's just the way people like to do things. So mm -hmm. you're a Kindle Unlimited author. Um, and, and I think you're going to be always fighting against the tide if, if you want to make it as a horror writer, you know, specifically as a horror writer. Okay. Did you have a horror series? Like, I see you have a bunch of thriller series now that do really well. Did you have a horror series? Yeah. I, the, the dark vanishing series, I think qualifies as horror. Um, that went in a few different directions. It's pretty much post-apoc. Uh, but it's also horror and there's some goofy fantasy <laughs> type uh, pieces which are mixed in there as well. Um, so yeah, there was a, there was a proof of concept at least of, of, you know, trying to make horror work with a series. And I think that if I were to do it again, it would definitely be a series, uh, but I did not make it work uh, with, with dark banishings. And I certainly did not make it work with any of my standalones. Okay. Yeah. I was curious because I just like in thrillers, my, my best selling series is a thriller series and my second is a post-apocalyptic series. Um, and I just, most of the people I see making money in horror aren't doing it in standalones. It's just, it's hard to promote those. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but, you know, once I broke, 
broke uh, into a different genre and went full out into series, it, it everything got much easier. Um, it, but yeah, selling, selling standalones in horror is very difficult, but also conceptually trying to decide how to craft a series in horror is also not very easy uh, yep. because usually horror has some type of evil or monster or what, or, or something that you have to overcome at the end. How do you make that into a series without like just dragging it into a second book by saying, and then the killer got away, but well, you'll mm -hmm. find out in book two. Um, so, you know, a couple ideas which I'd come up with over time was, you know, one was that instead of writing, you know, the typical trope, horror trope series, uh, for instance, uh, Jason keeps coming back and killing uh, camp counselors. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what you could do is perhaps write a series about a, a bunch of events which occur maybe in the same town or something like that. So it'd be like a creepy town. And yeah. here's all these different, you know, little um, uh, storylines which could develop in each book. And they may be interrelated. They may not even have the same characters, although I would recommend that that you bring characters from, from book to book to keep people, you know, uh, interested. Um, but I never did get to the point where I tried that. Um, I went straight into the into the thriller side, mystery side, and um, never looked back. Yeah, kind of like creating your own little Castle Rock, and then uh, have mm -hmm. I, I do like that idea, and I have toyed around with that um, a little bit. I know that they do that in some romance stuff too, and um, even like um, like cozy mystery, they'll do that yeah. too. And you could play with with concepts like you know, uh, for instance, you know, borrowing from TV, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, the Twilight Zone. Uh, uh, what was the, the the HBO series with the crypt, the Crypt Keeper? I can't Tales remember. Crypt. Yes, yeah. I mean, th those are different things that you can do too. You know, potentially to to work it into a into a book series, and at least you know get get your creative juices flowing. Yeah, yeah. that's good advice. For your thrillers, do you write like darker thrillers because you've come from horror, or do you more straight, you know, Barry Eisler thrillers? Yeah, they're they're pretty dark. Um, I I describe my my writing as like dark mysteries and thrillers, um, borderline on psychological thrillers, um, but I don't think that they're quite in that genre. I think they are more mystery thrillers. Um, so, yeah, th and that was the decision which which I. I struggled with is is how do I move from point A to point B and, and you know change genres and still remain true to who I am as a person and as a writer, and and that's where I came across the concept of writing the market and um, you know writing the market is is a bit of a controversial topic because I think a lot of people don't understand what it means. Um, it doesn't mean selling out. Um, that's not the implication. It's not like a punk band just deciding to switch to EDM because they want to stay relevant. Um, mm -hmm. Writing to market, I think, is um, is like envisioning like a multiple circled Venn diagram. Uh, so you have one circle which includes the genres that you love to read and write, and then you have a second Venn a uh, second circle which. Uh, includes genres with strong readerships and then you have yet another overlapping circle which includes your strengths and weaknesses as a writer 
Um, and this is probably something which a lot of people don't talk about, but um, you know, how good are you at writing certain types of scenes? Uh, what about themes? Are there certain types of characters you like to write and their arcs? And if you can find that overlap between those three or four circles in the Venn diagram, you found what you need to write. And for me, it was, for lack of better description, serial killer thrillers. Um, not every uh, mystery novel which I write includes serial killers, but they tend to get pretty dark. Um, they tend to go to some pretty dark places compared to a lot of other uh, thriller mystery writers. Uh, and, and in that way, I think they very much stay true to to my previous strengths in horror, uh, but they, they're now competing in a genre which has a lot more readers. And it's also about, you know, as you decide that you're going to write to market, it's also about finding what it is about that genre, which, which your readers love. And that's not easy either. Um, so you need to, you really need to commit to reading uh, very widely in that genre. If you decide, you know, hey, I'm, I'm considering A, B, or C to write in. Read the books in those genres, the top-selling books from indie authors in that genre. Are there certain tropes that the authors are hitting? Uh, why do you think readers love them? Is there something you can do to, to twist the tropes and make your stories unique while still meeting reader expectations and also providing your own flair so that when people read it, they know that's a Dan Padovana novel. That's not a Lisa Reagan novel or an LT Vargas novel or whatever. That's, that's a Dan Padovana novel. Yeah. Well, you talked about um, writing to market and I have in, in my case, if I feel like if I were to do that, it would feel like selling out because um, I, I have a, you know, my stuff is all so, short you know it's it's novella stuff and it's it has pretty much everything to do with the fact that i like isolated you know an isolated incident and a small cast of characters and my prose is very uh lean so all three of those don't allow for um and plus i probably two-thirds of my stuff is written in <clears throat> excuse me first person it's harder to write something longer in first person so um writing something uh, long is, is not on my side when you take all of those factors and put it together. But I have toyed around with uh, um, doing something like um, ro even romance or cozy mystery or something like that. And I've like, I, I get right to the edge where I'm like, you know, I could, I could do this. I'm not against, you know, I mean, I don't want to write erotica. I don't want to write steamy romance, but something like the notebook or something like that. I'm not against doing that. I like that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't, I've never read it but I, I should, like you said, that you've got to, you've got to do that because there are certain expectations that have to be met, you know, like cozy mysteries. You got to have a cat in there. You got to have, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you got to have a bookstore in there or a, a, a quilting group or, you know, something. There's just so many different things that you, you, you that are expected. But um, I, the, I did try an experiment uh, in, I wrote a vampire, like the, the first in a, what was to be a vampire series the female protagonist um and i tried to have it be fun but i tr and i and i released under sort of a, a, a pseudonym ce lutsky instead of chad lutsky so people still knew that it was me but they knew that this was something a little different i did not have fun writing that 
even though it was kind of horror there was just something about it and it was because i was trying to cater to i wasn't doing the twilight thing it was much grittier than that um and it didn't really have that that kind of romance had a little romance but but not that type and uh it it sort of to me it, it kind of felt like um you know selling out or whatever and i'm constantly playing with the idea because i want to make more money and i i i feel like i'm prolific prolific enough and driven enough to try something but it all comes back to yeah but i don't want this to feel like a job now and it would feel like a job and i really like doing this other stuff you know where i try to come up with a, a unique idea that nobody's done and it's just this one thing as opposed to a series and i'm constantly you know talking to people about it and i feel like because my stuff is short and i could probably put five or six novellas out in a year but i feel like instead of 20 books to 50k if i'm going to continue this it'd be have to be like 75 to 80 books to 50k <laughs> if i was going to keep you know doing that but the advantage that you guys have with your series which didn't occur to me until recently uh, i think armand brought it up maybe you did jason was that you only have to um advertise that one book you know mm -hmm. you can have 40 books in a series and you only have to advertise one book mm -hmm. yep. and that's it's huge major man that's that's major yeah that's that is a huge key um i found by and large when when we in the 20 books to 50k group have discussed with with authors who who were at least uh, I would I would say they're resistant to the to the the writing to market idea, um, and and they expressed a lot of the same concerns that you had. And, you know, by and large, every every time we we discovered that really they hadn't found the genre yet that they wanted to write in, that they just kind of like picked a couple things, saw it sold well, and said, "Well, let's go with this." Um, I was very fortunate in that the genres which I, were, I was already reading uh, were very ripe uh, for with readership and uh, serial killer thrillers, again, for lack of a better description, sell very well on Amazon and have for years and years and years. And I love to write about stuff like that. I love that whole criminal minds, um, mm -hmm. uh, mind hunter, uh, red dragon, silence of the lambs type of, of of genre and i just have it to me i'm like a kid in the candy shop and i'm writing in, in those scenarios and it's very easy for me to to integrate little horror type scenes that a lot of other people don't do in my genre um and just make it a little bit more intense um you know something like like, like what thomas harris did in, in his books would you know you would get that scene where you know the senator's daughter is going out to the car you know before buffalo bill nabs her you know, very tense scenes, which are completely pulled from a horror movie type script. Um, and a lot of writers in my genre don't do that. So, you know, I can't say that that is the one reason that readers tend to gravitate towards my books. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do have a lot of loyalty. And and that's really important, too, going back to the idea of, of uh, the series is... A series isn't just about being able to advertise that book one, which is very important, of course, especially when you're starting from 
literally square one, which was, you know, my position when I left horror and started anew in this new genre. I had no fan base. Uh, my horror readers didn't care that I was changing. Um, I took very few of them with me and nobody else knew who I was anyway. Uh, so yeah, I did have to advertise, but when you write in a series, there is a certain loyalty and momentum which is built up in that if you write a standalone book and somebody loves your book, when they decide what they want to read next, the chances that they'll read another one of your books is drastically lower than it would be if your book was part of a series and there's another book coming next. Mm -hmm. You've already funneled readers into the series. Um, you already have the read through. They already have shown you that they're committed to your world and they want more of it. Um, so that reader is going to download book two and book three, and you can keep them in your reader fold for a long time. It doesn't mean that you need to dominate their Kindle. I mean, they're going to read other people. No matter how fast you write, there's always somebody who's reading 10 times faster than you can than write. Uh, so, you know, they're going to read far and wide, but they're going to keep coming back to your series. There, there's like um, a momentum which built which builds up and it, it, it is tied to loyalty. And um, and that's that's probably the bigger advantage than advertising uh, is, you know, once you demonstrate to a reader, this is your type of book. And, oh, yeah, I've got five more just like it, you know, waiting for you to read next. They're going to stick with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, selling six books is a lot better than selling one. <laughs> yes, it is. So you switched to writing thriller series. Did you do anything else to help propel your new career in a new genre? Yeah, I had to. Yeah, absolutely. I had to, um, you know, starting from scratch again. It's, it's um, the first the first series I went to was was the Scarlet Bell series. And, and Scarlet Bell is for people who aren't familiar with it is is very close to. Like a, almost like a, a mashup of uh, of the, like the Thomas Harris novels and the Criminal Minds series. And they're written in novella form um, and they were meant to be consumed kind of like people would binge watch a Netflix series. And it was, you know, just a, I wanted to come in with a different strategy. I'm not even sure that it worked, but um, a lot of people really love that series. But when I released the first book, I mean, there was pretty much crickets. You know, I had it out there for 99 cents, tried to entice people, sold maybe six or seven books the first weekend. It was like, you know, who cares? You know, I'm making 35 cents, you know, per, per book sale. Um, and I had books two and three ready to go in rapid release form uh seven days apart i think from from the first books um and when those came out i think i sold like two books of book two and then maybe book three i got like another two or three books out of i mean it was it was really discouraging uh sure. I, I was i was trying uh my hand at ams ads at that point i i had never had success with ams ads with horror um, nor had I had any success with, with Facebook ads for horror, um, except for the Dark Vanishing series. I did have some fleeting success with that. Um, so I decided to, um, to, to try my hand at, at Facebook ads again, and I got creative with the targeting. Um, I think I was actually targeting Criminal Minds viewers. And I, you can, like, um, when, you're, when you're creating a Facebook ad, you can narrow down the audience. Um, strategically. So 
I started with that overarching um, audience, which was people who love criminal minds, brought it down to people who also love uh, Kindle. And um, so that, that brought in readers now. Um, and then I added um, a couple other things. I think that they, they, you know, they were engaged shoppers, which means that, you know, they're the types that get online to make purchases quite a bit. Um, okay. So I, I started with that and, and right off the bat, I could tell that this is going to, this is going to work. I was pretty much breaking even on that ad, like right out of the gate. And that's, I think I had about four books out of, in, the, in those novellas by then. Um, and I could kind of see the writing on the wall at that point that if I get it up to five books and eventually maybe eight to 10 books, and they're all selling at like two ninety nine, except for the entry book, we may actually be able to make a good return on investment on this. And as it turned out, the Scarlet Bell series never made me that much money. I made money on those ads. There's no question. But the important thing that happened during that, that period was I introduced so many people to who I am through Facebook advertising that I built a following. And then I started to get people signing up for my newsletter. And then when I next wrote the Dark, Darkwater Cove series, I was a better writer by then. I had a different idea in mind, something a little bit more intense, a little bit scarier. Um, and just to show you that you can do some weird things too, and even in a genre where you do have to adhere to some tropes. That entire series is written in uh, present tense. It's it's uh, mm. it's a very um, strange. I I don't know that I would do it again, but when I go back and read it, it's like this couldn't be in any other tense. It has to be present tense. It's just so it's so intense and it never lets up. And uh, I built up enough of a reader base that people were kind of ready for me at that point. And I, I think I only sold like 40 or 50 pre-orders on Darkwater Cove. But by the time the sequel came out, I think I'd sold like 70 or 80. So now I had some loyalty in that series as well. And that just kept snowballing. By the time I got up to book six, I mean, I was selling, I was disappointed if I didn't have like 400 or 500 pre-orders going into that, that release. That's and a that's, big difference. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, you know, just a 45 to 60 day pre-order. So it, it, it was just a snowball effect. More people coming into the fold, discovering me as an author, deciding they love the series. Um, long story short, as I turned, I took all the Scarlet Bell books, all the novellas, and I packaged them into two box sets. And it just turned out that those box sets sell a lot better than the novellas, even though they're a lot more expensive. Um, so, you know, I can sell the first box set for $6.99 on, on uh, Amazon, and it does great. And then the second book I, I, box set, I think, is either $7.99 or $8.99 or something like that. And You're advertising and on those, too? I advertise on the first box set, yeah. Okay. And uh, those have been highly profitable ads since day one. Um, and they're just so easy to sell. And, it, and then I just have a funneling system. At the end of every book, or in that case, box set, there's an invitation to read my next book or next series. And there's a clickable link, and it will take you right to the Amazon page. Yeah. Um, Amazon is much better these days. At if you have a series and you're you know reading book three, it will immediately recommend book four to you as soon as you finish that book. I mean, it, it's great. Um, Amazon's really doing the job for you. But if you're going from one series to the next or one book to the next, 
it really does pay to have that link. I think that link helps yeah. anyway. Um, and there's, sure. you know, and I swear by pre-orders too, because people, readers are most hot uh, to buy your next book at the moment that they finish the one that they just loved. Don't remind them a week later. Now's the time. Get them now. That's good advice. And you do 60-day pre-order roughly? Roughly. I think uh, these days I release a book every 55 to 65 days. So, yeah, that'll be about the length. How many yep. words? Uh, they come out about 270 to 290 pages. Okay. So you're doing the pre-order before you've written the book? Uh, the pre-order is usually out just the way I stagger things. I kind of start, I have like the first book written and then I start in the second book before I, I start, you know, putting everything out. Um, I'll usually have the pre-order going up when I'm about three quarters to four fifths through that manuscript, uh, first draft. And then it has to go through my editor. By the time I get it back, I usually have like a month to play with, so it goes to beta readers and they catch a couple more errors. It goes to my proofreader. Um, so it's kind of a system thing. Um, I have to be very, very organized to make it all work and all tick and have, you know, people I can depend on. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's about a 55 to 65 day publishing cycle. Okay. That's incredible. For so, a full-length novel. That's nuts. And then I know people who make me look slow because they're doing them every 25 to 30 days, and I don't understand how. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm retired. I retired from my job so I could write for a living, and um, I still I can't imagine. <laughs> I just can't imagine. I can't. I don't know how they don't burn out. Faster. You know, uh, you know some yeah. of them have been doing it I three, would... four years, and they're not even close to it. And I, I think that um, – I, I guess I'd ask the same question, you know, like, could you work a job for more than 10 years without burning out? And, and if, if this is your, if this is your career, then I think that as long as you love what you're doing, then you should be, you should be just fine. Oh, I totally agree. It's creativity. Creativity sometimes drains me more than physical labor. So sometimes yeah, like, it's, weird, know, it's strange too. That yeah. If I write 3000 words, man, I start slowing down big time at that point, getting to 5,000 mm -hmm. is a slog. It is. It is yeah. so weird to think that, and I, I don't. I think that the only people who understand that are people who have never, uh, maybe written or been in that kind of creative state of mind. But if you take like an eight-hour, um, a day job, you know, and you're like, well, how much time do you spend writing every day? And you say something like two hours. It it sounds ridiculous. It sounds yeah. like nothing. Like you're wasting your whole day playing video games. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it really does. Uh, it, At least that's my excuse. You. At least that's my excuse. <laughs> it, it is hard. Uh, you know, there's some things that, that I, I learned from the start that there was only one way I was going to make this work or certain things I was going to need to do to make this work. And if I wanted to publish roughly every two months, and I, I may get to the point where I'm, I'm only pushing out a book every three to four months. Um, right now, two months is working really great for me. And I, I see no, no reason to fix what's not broken. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know... You can turn. You can get it down to a math equation. Basically, you know that um, your book is going to be somewhere between 250, 300 pages by the time it's done, and you know about how many words um, you know you need to write to to fall into that zone. So, how many words do you need to write per day? And you can break that down mathematically. And then you may you may find well, if I want to do it in two months or three months, 
that it's 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 more words per day than you're willing to write. So the next step, and that's where I was. The next step was to to learn how to write faster. And um, there there are several good books on on the topic. Um, I think Chris Chris Fox, who wrote uh, the Five Thousand Words Per Hour book, is probably probably has the best book out on on the subject. <laughs> I've never even approached. Stuff. I've never approached five thousand. That's words in that's hour. madness. <laughs> no, I haven't. But I th the point is by following his uh, his methodology, his strategies, by working at it, I was able to increase. I would write like 30 minute writing sprints and would get about 350 words out in those, those 30 minutes. After only like four or five days, I was hitting 600 words in a half an hour. And then it became, and then I found that, that 15 minute writing sprints were actually better for me because in 15 minutes, I could go over my notes very quickly, knew exactly what I was writing about, but it was vague enough that I have a lot of pantsing available. I can, I can take it in any direction I want to and still stoke my own create, creative fires. Uh, and at that point, I started to hit like 340 words in 50 minutes, 15 minutes. You multiply that by four, and I'm approaching 1,300 words in an hour. So if I work at this for like an hour and a half or so, that's a lot of words. Now, now we're pushing 2000 words per day, um, you know, certainly 17 to 1800. And that is enough to get you to, you know, a new novel every, every two months easily. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, um, I know you've probably read, read, you've learned a lot in the last, uh, you know, three, four years doing this. And it seems that when um, these self-publishing success stories, a lot of these people are writing at least uh, one nonfiction book that sells a lot. Have you ever considered at some point doing something that like that on your, uh, for your, on your own? I know several writers who, who do have self-publishing uh, self books out, um, nonfiction. Um, and to be honest with you, in almost every case that I can think of, their fiction is far more successful than the nonfiction. So it'd be a waste of time, maybe? I don't think it would be a waste of time. I think that, you know, um, like Chris Fox's books on, on the subject are uh, by far my favorite. And, and not only do I have them on Kindle, but I actually have them on Audible too. I, I, I purchase them in Audible as well. So no matter where I am, if I'm out hiking or I'm driving in the car, if I just need that pick me up and I, mm -hmm. I need that, that, advice. Um, you know, I have it, I have it at my fingertips all the time. Um, I think he does decently, probably pretty well with those books. In fact, he, I think every year he gives a breakdown of how much he earns, but, um, you know, for, per genre, but I think that his nonfiction vastly outspell outsells his fiction or his fiction outsells his nonfiction. I've written enough articles on my website and articles which I haven't released on my website um, that are just sitting in there in draft form that I almost have enough to put together a nonfiction how-to book for, for indie authors. I'm toying with the idea. I've never done anything like it before. I've certainly read a lot of books on the subject, so I'm not exactly flying blind here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I probably am going to do it. And I don't think I'll 
I'll use my, I think I'll use a pen name for sure. I think it'll probably be like a DJ Padavana or something like that or, okay. uh, or a Daniel J Padavana. It's got to be different because I don't want to, I don't want to cross the streams to, so to speak and, sure. and confuse readers of, you know, my, my thrillers and mysteries. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I will. I'll read it, man. If you, if you <laughs> choose to do that, I will. Yeah. Well, definitely. I've read I have some two, of that stuff. purchases lined up. <laughs> I, I think I uh, read one of Chris Fox's books and there there's, there's just so many out there. Uh, I've read everything from uh, I've read one on, on cozy mystery, uh, which was really good. And, and uh, I've read some, read a few on advertising and I've taken uh, what's his name? Uh, Brian Cohen's uh, Amazon course and things like that. Only to find out later that I'm not really writing the stuff that this this kind of thing is meant for, but uh, that's okay. It's it's I like learning and it helps push me in different. You know, I'm still undecided whether this is what I want to do. If I'm just going to try to put as many novellas out as I possibly can and remain hybrid, or uh, if I'm just going to break down and find something like you did, where hey, I really like doing this anyway. This is like right in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm just going to do this now. So I would like to that has to be the case too, Chad. I mean, if you, if you, if it isn't the case, then you won't last in it because it's just, it's a, it is, as you said, it's a, it's a grueling job. You know, writing creatively for two hours is, is a slog. It's not easy. There are certainly tricks that you can, you can use, which will make it easier. Maybe you, you take a break in between and you go for a nice little walk and you brainstorm some more ideas, come back fired up and just boom, just, you know, nail out your last half. Mm -hmm. um, I've done, certainly done that before. I try to stay very physically active. Um, certainly a lot easier now that I'm retired. I can, I can get out on my bike. Um, when it's cold out now I'm on the Peloton or I'm lifting weights or something, you know, it's, um, I, it really does help me to keep a clear mind and, and to, um, and to, to be a, a multi-dimensional person too. I'm not just a writer. I, you know, have a lot of other things going on. Yeah. So, okay. I've got a scenario for you. I wanted to ask you about this. I just re recently released a book. I, I know that I didn't do um, proper in its release. Okay. I've only done pre-orders maybe once or twice before. I've heard both arguments, um, you know, why you should, why you shouldn't just the same way with why you should go wide, why you shouldn't. And I chose to do a pre-order. I wanted to tell you uh, briefly what my release was like and ask what you would have done differently. Okay, now this is not a series. It's a standalone no novella. Um, I did a two-week pre-order and I set the price at the price that it was going to remain, like $3.99. Um, and then I wanted to get, you know, and I set a bunch of review copies, e-copies out to reviewers um and then i usually send out paperback copies too to the to the people who like to post their their stuff on instagram you know take all their photographs and stuff um that have the big followings on on instagram or youtube and so i sent some of those out but as you know you can't unless you're going to order some author copies and i think you can only order like five and i was going to send out like 10 or 12 paperbacks not not very many but um these people are going to be taking photos and the i i liked the cover people liked the cover and i didn't want that you know that watermark across so i thought oh, i'm gonna just send them you know uh 
author copies, not, uh, sorry, when I was referring to author copies, I meant like review copies. Yeah. Advanced so I'll send copies. them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll send them author copies that, you know, of course in Amazon takes about two to three weeks to get them out. You know, if you're going to buy them like discount and send them out like that, they're, they're not very quick about it. But as you know, you can't do that without having released the book first. So the only way that I've done it before is I had a Kindle release and then I had my paperback set at like $250. <laughs> and, I, and then I bought, you know, author copies and, and sent them out. And then, then I was able to take the, the, the price down. I didn't want to do that like that this time. So I thought I would quietly release the paperback. And I've tried doing this before. It didn't work out. Never fails. The day that, that I try to do that and don't say anything, it's all over the place. And everybody's already, you know, posting about it and stuff, which is flattering. But it kind of screwed up my whole thing. And so now when I'm advertising, I'm like, well, the Kindle's up for pre-order for two weeks, but the, you can get the paperback now. It's just this kind of convoluted thing. And I realized I just really screwed up. And then I started thinking, maybe I should have put a 99 cent um, pre-order on this because isn't the whole reason for doing that is attracting more buys so that the algorithms in Amazon, how would you have done this mess differently if you're just doing the standalone novella? Yeah. So let's start with a couple things. The first is for, for people who are, who are listening now or prospective writers or, or active writers who are wondering about how the pre-order thing works. I don't think Amazon gives us an exact formula, but basically the way things are now is that um, they, they give you, they credit you on the, on the first day that that book goes live with, I think like half the pre-orders or something like that, that you actually had plus whatever you got on day one that wasn't from the pre-order. So if you sold, you know, 20 pre-orders, and five more books on, on day one, then they would probably give you, you know, half those pre-orders plus those five. And that's, that would be how your initial ranking would, would go. Um, so, so that's, that's probably one thing to start with. I have put out pre-orders, which were priced lower than the eventual price point that I wanted to try to entice people to, to get it early and, and to lock in that sale. Um, I usually don't. In fact, my, my go-to is just $4.99. It's going to be $4.99 for the pre-order. It's going to be $4.99 when you, when you buy it on day one and, and for every day in the future. Um, there's also been times where I have set the pre-order at $4.99, gotten all the pre-orders, and then on like day two, I've run like a countdown sale or I had a promotion lined up or something and I lowered it to 99 cents, which may miss a few people because they bought the pre-order, but um, it's only for like a day or two and then it's right back to 4.99. So I've, I've gone in all different directions. I don't think that there is an advantage to any of them. It's just basically what you want to do. The advantage to me of staying with 4.99 is that I've created an expectation among my readers. This is what my books cost mm -hmm. until inflation drives me higher. This is what my books cost. Um, so nobody needs to feel like if, if they stick around, they can get it for 99 cents someday or, or, or whatever. So the second, the second thing that we touch on is um, uh, 
worrying about the release day probably doesn't matter that much unless you have like reason to believe that a lot of other things you're doing on the background are going to bring you in like hundreds of sales on day one, you know, something that which is really going to pump the algorithm and get you near the top of your genre list. Um, so getting your book in front of like several bloggers and their readers will move the needle, but it probably won't move the needle enough to make a difference. So I don't think that I would tell you that uh, you did things wrong. It's that that probably no matter what you did, you were going to have a very similar result. You know, mm -hmm. maybe a couple books more here, a couple fewer there, uh, but it probably wasn't going to be that much different. So many, so much of my releases right now are just built on loyalty and momentum. When I say a new series is coming out, I already have enough readers involved in my other series that they sit up and take notes and go, oh, okay, I'll buy that. Um, and of course, if I if this is a book in an existing series, then you know the pre-orders are a lot easier. Um, so you know, right now, if I have a pre-order on books, you know, nine or something in my Wolf Lake series, I'll I'll easily eclipse a thousand mm -hmm. pre-orders. But for like uh, uh, the new book in my my latest series, uh, which was called Dust Corners, I think I. I sold about 200 or 220 pre-orders in that one. Um, so it's starting over. It's again, it's just building up loyalty in, in this new series. So, you know, I have to start over. I, I can't say that you did anything that was particularly wrong. Um, another advantage, which I find too, in writing in a genre where people love their Kindles, um, which is actually most of the hot genres right now, honestly, is that you can get away with providing advanced copies in Kindle form, which means you don't have to put your book out on Amazon. If you have like a book funnel or story origin or, or you subscribe to any of those services, you can create an EPUB for your book, put it, put it out there and then send it, send the link to your advanced readers and they get to read it, you know, how many days you want, you know, before, before the, uh, the actual release. Um, when you start to get into how do I get this print book out, that's where it gets really touchy mm. because you can't without releasing it actually on Amazon. Um, yeah. You know, you have to press that button. And even if like you say, well, I'm going to do it through a, a different um, company or, or whatever and not put it on Amazon, once that ISBN is created, it exists. It's it's mm -hmm. that's that's the official release date. No matter if you didn't only put it on Barnes and Noble or Kobo or whatever, it's out there. So, unless you can find somebody who does print-on-demand books without publishing them, then I don't have an answer for that. How to make that work? And I'm not sure that there is a way. There probably is somebody out there who does print-on-demand like that, but. Do they do it better than Ingram Spark or or KDP Create? Probably not. Yeah, that's good advice, man. Thanks for that. I'm gonna have to, <laughs> I'm gonna have to try some of that. I, I've been playing with Barnes and Noble Press, um, their paperbacks and their hardcovers. Now they have tons of hardcover options. I don't yeah. know if they publish or not. When you do something with them, I have to look. 
Um, we won't keep up any more of your time. You've been amazing. Yeah, Jason, uh, did you have a, you want to pop the last two that we usually ask? Sure. Of all the things you have done, what has brought you the most success? If you could boil it down to one decision you made or one service you used or anything like mm-hmm. that. Well, I would say going back to the old cliche, don't judge a book by its cover, but everybody does. The cover totally is agree. so totally yeah. important. It is is all encompassing important. Uh, so you know when I when I switched into into a, a different genre, one of the first things I did was I um, when I started to read books in that genre to to understand what made them tick and whether or not I liked them. Is I would take a look at the uh, at the credits. And I would see who designed the cover. And I would just start looking at all these books which ranked high in my genre. And I would make a list. Okay, this was designed by so-and-so. This was designed by so-and-so. And I just start sending out the, you know, little emails to these people inquiring about, you know, you know I, I would like to write in uh, a book called such and such. You know, I like what you did for so-and-so. You know, quote me a price. And I would start to get prices and I, I would... Um, I would gauge, you know, how easy the people were to work with. Once you get that killer cover and that cover needs to like, if you take that cover and you place it amid like five or six covers in a row in the top 50 and on your genre, it has to stand up um, and it has to stand up to them. It doesn't have to be the best one, but it can't like, it can't look inferior. It can't look yeah. like it was like a, um, a budget uh, cover. It has to look like really professional and it has to like nail tropes, you know, for your genre. I mean, I, I can take a look at just about any psychological thriller, mystery cover, dark mystery cover and instantly know pretty much what I'm getting into. And that, that leaves a lot of room for, for, you know, creativity on the designer's part, but, there's a certain look, there's color schemes, there's mm-hmm. elements, you, there's, there's obviously font, um, you know, there's things that which just tell you immediately that's a book in this genre. That's probably something that I would like to read. Um, so I think that that is first and foremost, you have to nail the cover. Yeah. Um, and of course, writing in the series is really big too. Um, the other thing which I would say too is that having a game plan, um, if you know how many books you're you need to write to hit a certain threshold for success, however you define it, um, you know per year, then you need to create a plan for getting there. How many words do I need to write per day? If you want to take off days, feel free. You're more, I don't, I don't subscribe to the, you must be like Stephen King and write every single day of your life, unless you're like on your deathbed. Um, no, I mean, you can take days off, but those have to be your rules. If you say I write every day, then you write every day. If you say I take two days off a week, then you take two days off a week. If you say I take like nine or 10 vacation days for every book, then make that. So whatever works for you plan ahead come up with a plan and decide, well, how many words do I need to write on the days that I do write to hit these expectations? When do uh, I need to 
get my covers back for my designer? When do I need to get this book to my editor? Uh, when do I need to get the, the proofs back from the proofreader and, and my beta readers? Um, and you have all that lined out and just, um, you know, plan ahead. And so I think that, you know, having a game plan is just, is it probably as important, if not more important than even the cover. You need to know how to get from point A to point B. And then you're also holding yourself accountable. If you're not doing it, then the person who's letting yourself down is staring you in the mirror. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's what I put on my, on, you know, what I laid on myself and it worked. I mean, I went through a period where I think from the, maybe the second book or third book in the Darkwater Cove series until a year later, I wrote every single day of that year of that 365 day period, except for Christmas. And I wow. totally planned to write on Christmas, but I ended up working at my job. Uh, I was a meteorologist at the time until four in the morning, I think, because we had a winter storm, lucky us, on Christmas Eve. And then by the time I got home and woke up and the kids wanted to open presents, I was like, I am not writing. I've had, I'm working on four hours of sleep and we've got parties coming up. I just can't write today. I was right back on the horse the next day. And again, all but one day in 365 days, I eventually decided that that isn't necessary, you know, especially now that I'm retired. I love to go for hikes. I love to go out with the dogs. Um, I like to smell, smell the roses, you know, you know, so to speak. Um, so I've, I've cut back a little bit, but I still, I write almost every single day and I edit every single day and I'm always doing about 30 minutes in the evening of admin work, which could be working on ads or, or, you know, just about anything, answering emails, anything that helps my career, I'm working on it. Um, so, you know, have that plan um, and hold yourself to it and, and then go out there and get the best damn covers that you can, you can get in your genre. And uh, you know, they're, they're, they're expensive, but they're, they're worth every penny because you know you're going to sell a thousand books instead of like you know a hundred books right now what one thing brought you the least return on your investment whether it be money time effort? social media okay. social media well Absolutely. that's funny that you say that because that's all i rely on at this point mm -hmm. that's what sells all of my books is word of mouth social media instagram twitter and stuff so that's good to hear, man, because I would love to be without. I, I, I like meeting some of the people. But, dude, when you kind of disappeared from the scene and started doing your own thing and then you come back just on fire with money <laughs> and all these awesome books, you missed out on all the wonderful drama that we uh, deal with <laughs> on a daily basis. And I'm I'm so jealous of that. But I, so, I yeah, know continue. I've taken courses on, on how to sell books and social media from very reputable services. I mean, I took. Mark Dawson's ad for authors course. Uh, there is a Instagram, how, how to make money on Instagram uh, uh, module as part of that course. I think there's one on YouTube. There's, I think there's one coming out on TikTok. I mean, Twitter, I think may have one. I'm not positive of that. Um, the bottom line that I, that I have found talking to author after author, after author, very successful authors, some that make my earnings look like pennies. Um, they, you know, 95 out of 100 will tell you 
I get nothing out of social media. I'm just there because I want to be there. People aren't, you know, not that I don't make sales on social media. Even I made sales on social media. Make a few here and there. Um, I've picked up readers in social media, but enough to really move, move the needle. Probably not, probably not even close. There, there's always those four or five that out of the hundred that do really well with social media. And that seems to be their, their go-to and in, in what moves their career along and supports, puts food on the table. I, I feel that they're kind of like impossible to follow because they're just like so good at social media that, and you know, that's all that they do. It seems it, it, it's just, you know, it's, that's not me. I, I'm not going to be posting an Instagram photo every single day and, and showing pictures of somebody else's book. And it, that just doesn't do anything for me. Um, so it's funny when I left Twitter, I left Twitter because it was just such garbage. Just accessible. You know, I don't yeah, use it. It's at just all, really. ang angry people yelling at each other, you know, constantly. Um, a lot of bullying and racism and homophobia. It was, it was just a terrible, terrible environment. I, I left, I think when I was making about thirty, $40,000 in sales per year. And by the time I checked in on Twitter, like a few weeks ago, I was making 10 times that. And, and that was with zero posts to Twitter, zero. It just, it, it never made any difference for me. And really I got to the point where I was only there to correspond with other authors anyway, or to talk about little topics. And um, it, it just wasn't worth it. Now, social media, however, when it comes to advertising, you know, Facebook ads are great. Um, if you can make them work, they're very hard to make work. Um, when you nail them, they're like, you know, a license to print money. Um, so like right now I've got one out for two dark out for dark water cove, which we're just motoring along and doing great. And two more for the wolf lake series and they're doing great. Um, and you know, they're probably adding like 10% to my sales every single day. It's just, it's wonderful. And, and I'm making like a 50% return on investment on those, those ads. Wow. So if I spend 50 bucks a day, that means I'm making 75 bucks, you know? Yeah. It takes it takes all the read through to get to that point, but it, it really is happening. So yeah, social media to me is just a lot of garbage. You should only be there unless, you know, if you want to, you should only be there if you want to be there and you have your friends there and whatnot. I think trying to like sell books through social media is very difficult. And a lot of people just, they're not going on social media to do that. That's, I could not agree more. You have been awesome, man. So much good advice for everybody. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate that. And uh, I, I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk about this kind of stuff. I see your posts. I look forward to your posts on the. I don't hang around uh, yet too much on the 20 books to 50K. Every, every time I see your name up there, I don't get jealous. I get really happy for you, man. So Thank you. Congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm, you deserve it. I know you've worked really hard and it's just so, it's, it's so great to see.